0: Alrighty, righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dealmaker Show. So we have a really exciting founder today, you know, founder that has done it all, you know, operator, investor, you know, now really riding a rocket ship. So all in between. So all the good stuff, building, scaling, financing, you name it. You know, other stuff that we're going to talk about is how to use M&A, you know, to really lead to a growth strategy. What happened, you know, when it came to fundraising in 2021, how things are comparing to now. Uh, And and obviously, you know, like everything else that you can think of about, you know, operating and and building up something meaningful. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Nassim Saloji. Welcome to the show.
1: Great to meet you. Thanks for having me.
0: So originally born in Toronto to immigrant parents. Give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up?
1: Life was great. Um, Yeah, I grew up in Toronto. Uh, Happy family life. Folks uh, immigrated from South Africa, so I heard heard lots of stories of um, you know where I came from, background. Um, ended up spending a lot of my youth back and forth. I went to school there a couple of times. Moved there after uh, after university. Um, so consider myself uh, very much a South African Canadian. Um, and yeah, it's been been great.
0: And how is it like to be the uh, child of uh, immigrants? You know, do you think that them going there to give you guys a better tomorrow you know maybe you know that has inspired you and shaped who you are today
1: i uh, I think it's definitely given me more drive um, like i I feel a sense of appreciation for the struggle that my family had to go through to, to get to get me to where I am to get me to, to have the opportunities that I've had and so uh, there's almost a, it's a responsibility to to pay it forward so to speak um, that you know makes me want to to work harder makes me want to Um, take advantage of all the opportunities that I have that previous generations didn't. So most, most definitely.
0: So obviously, you know, like in your case, you were interested into business. You know, we see that, you know, on what you ended up studying in undergrad, you know, doing your MBA too. So what do you think that interest, you know, towards business, you know, came from?
1: Um, I think it was luck, actually. Like I, I, uh, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a politician. Um, I think I, I, uh, and I thought that I wanted to go to law school. and. You know, it just so happens you can't go into law school in Canada um, out of high school. So I went into a business program because I heard that you know the school that I was, was going to was a good school and that people got great jobs afterwards. So I figured, well, you know, if, if, I, if I don't get into law, to law school, then at least I have a backup plan built in. And um, when I was there, I ended up walking into a presentation from a consulting company talking about how, you know, there were these 22-year-old kids who were flying around the world and going cool places. And so I ended up, you know, taking a job with uh, with McKinsey out of school and and traveling the world and kind of forgot about the law thing and, and never looked back.
0: Now, in your case, you went to um, South Africa, you know, to to work there at McKinsey. You know, one of the things that uh, I see a lot is people that end up becoming entrepreneurs, I find that the background in consulting is very useful because it helps you to break down, you know, big problems into smaller problems, and then you tackle them in a different way. So it's a different perspective and approach to problem solving. How do you think that the experience at McKinsey helped you when it comes to problem solving?
1: Definitely take, gives you the ability to take a big problem disaggregated into component parts, and then also communicate very clearly, right? So the, you know, the key drivers or breaking your message down into the three main messages or whatever it might be, uh, it's, it's really helpful, right? That, that pyramid principle of communication is very, very helpful it can, no matter where you end up.
0: So being able to travel, you know, there to South Africa, then, you know, as part of that experience, you were also in places like Kenya, Pakistan, also your worldview, being able to travel so much, you know, what kind of a perspective it gives you about things?
1: makes me very appreciative um and so it's sort of humbling it, it makes makes me appreciative of for me it made me appreciative of the things that i had um the places that i went I, I was able to meet such incredible people but i was also able to see um such disparities in the way that people lived um and so i it made me appreciate everything that i had it made me appreciate my opportunities and uh it kind of made me want to make a difference and so i think a lot of the work that i did back then um and and always have done has been mission driven um so my work at mckinsey was social sector oriented, a lot of the companies that I built or been part of, and I I connected closely with the mission of that company. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's been the the big contribution.
0: So 2009, that's when the NBA comes knocking. You know, why did you thought at that point, 2009, it was the time to shift gears?
1: Uh, I, I wish it was like something that I thought was, you know, um, like I had this, I wish I had this big insight or, or something like that, but really it was that, you know, I was lucky. I got into a, a good consulting company and you know, they, they told me that they would pay for me to go to business school, you know? Um, and so I said, okay, well, if, if you're willing to, to pick up the tab, then I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll go wherever I, I'm able to get in. And so I, I went to HBS and I think my, my worldview uh, widened significantly when I was there. Um, like I, I was never thinking about, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. Um, I Really, just thought I was going to get a nice corporate job and and move along. And when I got to business school, I met people of all sorts of different backgrounds uh, who would followed you know very different paths to my own. And you know, the I, I kind of questioned. I, I I felt like I shouldn't have really needed to have somebody you know offer to pay for me to think about you know going to somewhere like HPS. Like uh, the opportunities that it created for me and the people that I was able to meet. Uh, i think that you know taking on a bit of debt and and have done doing it differently would have been something that you know if i i would have told my my old self don't don't worry about having somebody else do things for you you can make your own opportunity um but i think being around people who had that mindset and wanted to make their opp- own opportunity gave me the confidence that you know i could do it too one day
0: so then you finish the program obviously amazing network that you build there but then eventually you know the world of startups comes knocking So how did you get into the adventure world?
1: Uh, So I I was leaving consulting and um, I knew I wanted to do something. I didn't really have an idea. Um, I I think another kind of lesson I think in life is, you know, if you don't have an idea, you can just swim around and find one. Like, and just follow your passions, you can do it. Uh, But, um, you know, given that I didn't feel like I had an idea, I decided to, to join a startup with people that, you know, had one and had had a vision and where I could kind of hop in and and be helpful um, and uh you know so I, I met some guys that were building a you know tech company here in Toronto called top hat. Um, I ended up popping on board to to help with business development uh, within my first month or so. we let go of our, our head of sales and I took on the sales team and uh, so did b d and sales and and ran the revenue function there for for a few years and a great learning lesson like uh, I'd never been a Really, a manager? Like in consulting, you manage people, but you know it, you're not really managing. You know, it, when you're in in a you know McKinsey type environment, you say jump, and people say how high, and you know it's that specific type of person. Um, I think when you are kind of building a larger team, it it teaches you how to relate to people a little bit better, um, how to get more out of folks, and so I think I started my journey, um, my learning journey there, and it was a great opportunity. And uh, fortunate that the company. We were able to scale up quite quickly while I was there. So I think we grew about tenfold um, during my time at Top Hat, kind of startup of the year. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was a great kind of opportunity to, to learn and grow.
0: And for those that are interested, you know, you can go and check the episode with Motion, you know, the co-founder with uh, Top Hat. So I guess, you know, being able to uh, be part of a company like Top Hat, uh, raised 200 plus million. You guys got it to over 40 million in ARR like what is the difference from being you know perhaps in the in the in the operation you know in a vc backed company like top hat versus maybe like a you know p backed company like the one that you were running you know right after global faces direct i mean what what's what is really the difference between one another
1: i think that being in a venture type environment encourages it encourages risk taking because there's a um, a venture capitalist is chasing outsized rewards. They know that they're going to invest in ten companies, and or X number of companies out of a given fund. You know, the the first, the the highest performing company is going to return the entire fund. The next performing company, you know, will will do reasonably well, and they're they're writing off a number of them at the end. And so it creates you know an incentive structure to really chase outsized wins, and that's the kind of the dynamic, and that's the, that's what you set up. Well, that's what you're you know working for when you're part of a venture back startup. When you're joining something that's a, a private equity backed company, it typically it's it's more a refinement game at that point, right? Like private equity doesn't invest with the idea of of losing. So it's you know, it's far more willing to accept singles and doubles rather than go, you know, for home runs. Like you might produce the same output in with both approaches, uh, but it's a it's a different way of of making the soup. And uh, I think what I learned about myself was that. I'm very much an early stage guy. Like I like, I like the thrill of getting something off the ground. I like the idea of launching things. I like the excitement of of doing deals. And um, so yeah, I, I focused my last few years on on launching businesses and you know and you kind know, really going from from zero on upward.
0: So talking about launching businesses, you know what really pushed you in that direction was some headaches that you were dealing with. You know what what was going on.
1: I had cluster headache I've had cluster headache since i was uh, in my, around twenty years old uh, so if you don't know what cluster is it's it's kind of like migraine only instead of getting like, one long migraine attack I um look at three four or five uh, short duration headaches um, a day for you know a month and a half a year um, and uh it, super debilitating I was fortunate the first time it hit me I was at university so and it was fine next time it hit me it was kind of i just started work uh, my first job uh pretty scary um and you know each time they just resolved and i went back to doing what i was doing the third time it hit i was able to go to an expert neurologist who had finally was finally able to diagnose me with cluster put me on medication and so for the next decade or so i was fine like i would just roll on and off these meds really some of them you know like prednisone super hard on the body so i didn't It's not like i enjoyed going on to these meds but you know they did the trick. Um, and I found that, you know, a number of years later, so my early thirties, the, you know, the meds that I was on had stopped working. I was looking for new solutions. A friend of mine pointed me in the direction of the research happening on psilocybin, you know, at the time you know, it was a little bit less well-known than it is today, but, you know, groups like Yale, for example, uh have had clinical trials for my, my condition, um, you know, now for the last couple of years, um, and, uh, yeah i, I took a plunge uh used psil- uh, psilocybin to, to treat my headaches brought about a three year remission um you know uh, i'm now kind of in a place where you know with a, a little bit of help from from those kind of you know interesting molecules uh i i no longer kind of suffer from from cluster at least not the same way i used to before so uh yeah it inspired me to uh, can do something in that space um met a couple of others and um you know made a, a series of investments out of a venture fund um in, uh, in a lot of the early moving companies in the space, and uh, together set up a little biotech company that we raised some money into, and um, you know, the, the biotech company uh, you know, quite compelling. Like uh, it actually looks at non hallucinogenic versions of psychedelics. So a, guy named, a guy named Brian Roth um, out of the University of North Carolina uh, did some fantastic research. Uh, you know, got a, a grant from DARPA, so from the U.S. government for. For nearly twenty-seven million dollars um, to, to study this stuff, um, produced you know some ground-breaking based stuff. So you know we we licensed his work and you know through a consortium of universities um, the work of some others as well. And so uh, kind of a, a huge kind of library that we've got access to in that business. Um, and uh, you know I, I'm not I'm not a biotech guy, so I, I was just doing this as a passion project. So we brought in some other folks to help uh, you know and, and build that out. And uh, at the same time. Uh, a good buddy of mine from business school, um, along with our other partner, we're looking at uh, what we're doing at Carbon Six, and you know, they had seen and had been looking at the aggregator space in e-commerce, um, and you know saw that you know fifteen billion dollars had been put into rolling up the brands, so brands that were selling on Amazon. And I, I had no idea that the scale of this market. Like you know, I knew obviously Amazon's big, but. Uh, the fact that there were, you know, brand aggregators that were reaching such high heights so quickly, we saw names like Thrasio and Perch and others. Now, names that were would no longer be seen uh, in the same light as they were, you know, a few years ago. Like, uh, but at the time, you know, every investor was was looking at these as the they, they were the investor darlings, right? And so we were a little bit late for that business model, and for various reasons, didn't love the you know the idea of brand aggregation. But we did when we peeled into that business um, and the businesses that were selling to the aggregators saw that, you know, they were using between eight and 15 different tools to, to automate their businesses. And, you know, Amazon had grown from 60 to $600 billion in, um, in revenue. And it's it's kind of e-commerce marketplace over the past decade. And at the same time, there was this huge consolidation. So, you know, the top 15,000 sellers were representing 50% of third-party sales volumes. And, um, you know, we didn't see anybody that had built. had a go-to solution for that market. There were myriad individual tools solving individual jobs, but there was nobody you could look at and say this is the hub for the professional seller, for the large seller. And we saw a wedge in the market and we said, well, you know, there's an opportunity for us here to use M&A to to get a head start and launch a business that could be, you know, a category changer. Um and so for me, you know, cuz was was kind of wrapping up the, the day-to-day work on my biotech. Um, and uh, it was too exciting an opportunity to pass up. And so that's what I've been up to now for the last, uh, you know, over two years.
0: So for the people that are listening to Get It, what ended up being Carbon 6? You know, how, what's the business model? How do you guys make money?
1: So if, if you sell on Amazon, so you're, you're a seller on Amazon, you have to do a series of jobs, right? So you have to, in some cases, figure out which products to sell. Right, to, which products to, to 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 launch? In in all cases, you know, have to figure out which keywords to rank for to you know maximize your you know odds of success in in Amazon's search algorithm. Um, so keyword research. Um, you have to manage ads, right? So you know like uh, Amazon has a huge ads business, like it, um, and uh, you need to be able to kind of you know optimize your ads programs on the platform you have to manage your inventory, right? So you have to think about Inventory forecasting, inventory management. Um, uh, Amazon levies a series of fees to sellers. Um, so, and and there's a whole lot of recoverable opportunity. So there's a like whole category of FBA reimbursements where you know things are well, missing, kind of on the way, kind of missing inbound shipments into Amazon's warehouses, lost, damaged, et cetera, in the warehouse. Things like customer returns, um, you know, where you're. You're basically your money is sitting with Amazon as the seller and you need it recovered. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's financial dashboards, there's pricing tools, et cetera. And so, you know, the opportunity we saw was to bring a number of these together uh, under one banner and bring together a lot of the smartest minds. So, cause if, if we were able to acquire a series of tools that had, you know, really bright folks leading them and then raise a pool of capital. To allow us to engage, which would help get us to scale and engage a lot of the smartest minds in this community, we felt like we could build something that was was truly leading edge, and so you know that's what we, we set out to do.
0: Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that you know for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So That gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, in this case, you know, how much capital also, you know, to be able to um, to make it happen? You know, were you guys saying, uh, did you guys raise for this?
1: Uh, so we've had, we raised a series of rounds uh, over time. Um, a mixture of, of debt and equity. Um, a little mm-hmm. more equity than debt. Um, so founders round, a seed round, uh, a series A. Um, on the way to the series A, we're actually raising, uh, we were going to look to raise, a, you know, of friends and family around and ended up getting introduced to a couple of venture investors. Um, and you know, a group called white star capital asked us to preempt our series a. So we said, okay, sure. Um, let's, let's do it. We, we actually weren't, we weren't sure that we were ready at the time, uh, but they, they took a bet on us and you know, we appreciate that. And, uh, so we, we ended up closing our series a in April. We kind of got the investment from white star in April of 2022. Now, um, If we'd raised in 2021, I think we'd be a very different business today. We would have raised a heck of a lot more than we did, than we have Um, kind of closing the series A right when the markets were already on the way down in 2022 and then getting a little bit of debt, um, you know entering Q4. So in September of, of 2022, it's a really interesting time to be raising because, you know, as we're having our conversations with our lender and the markets are going further and further down. Right. Um, so really interesting time to start negotiating, negotiating a debt facility as a tiny startup where it, it was once a formality that, uh, you yeah. Uh, know, yeah. a SaaS company that was venture backed was going to get venture debt. Uh, and then that, that melted away and seeing kind of what, what happened in the markets. It was, uh, I think, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have raised when we did a because we were able to secure capital but b I think the fact that we raised uh, at the time in which we did and raised less has forced us to get more disciplined about our operations faster than I think a lot of other companies who focused on m a early would have and we've, we've transitioned from being m a focused with m a kind of as our core business model to uh, you know to pure play organic growth. SaaS company, right? Where, you know, we used m as to push off, but, you know, over the past, you know, number of months, we've doubled the size of the business organically. And um, that's really our focus is how do we get more uh, organic growth? How do we, you know, ensure that our products are are truly going of meeting the needs of our customers in ways that others don't? Um, how do we build something truly exciting? And I think that the pressure of a a really different, difficult financing environment in which, you know, we thought we'd have raised a Series B already. Right, Like when we set out to do this, we thought we were on a, uh, you know, a, a treadmill of, of raising and, and buying and raising and buying. And as soon as the the markers for what success looked like changed, we were forced to adapt. And, uh, you know, I think we're, we're a lot better off for it.
0: And then also, um, you know, you guys had to make some hard decisions too along the way, you know, cutting deep and being laser focused. So what have you learned around
1: that? yeah like um we we were we were spending you know uh, an outsized amount relative to our size um back you know a, a year and a half ago right a year ago um and you know q4 of last year we looked at ourselves in the mirror and we said you know you guys are we're being too generous here to a point where we might not have a business anymore right like uh, we we literally we we uh, acquired a series of companies we kept the we kept the founding teams in place uh, we kept the, int- the entire employee bases in place, and then we built a core central you know, staff base at Carbon Six, which we knew was going to be critical for the scale up, but um, you know, incurred a large, large burn in doing that. Right, and I think uh, what we, we realized was, you know, a, a, comp- a SaaS company that was burning, you know, a million dollars a month uh, might have, you know, been, been able to raise and be successful in 2021. It definitely wasn't going to cut it in 2020. 2023 2024 and so we we radically shifted and so over the past number weeks literally starting from from November last year to this summer we transformed from a business with you know virtually zero growth uh who did in, acquired all of its revenue right um and and was burning cash a significant amount of cash to one that you know crossed the line became cash flow positive uh in the middle of this year um, was growing over 100% per year organically um and now was positioned to to write our own destiny right so you know we there's no pressure on us to raise at any given time like we you know we can choose to raise when we want to raise um and you know, we've we've grown the business substantially like I mean, we're about three x larger than we were twelve months ago, and um you know we we think that the, the sky's the the limit now uh but if we hadn't cut deep um twelve months ago or or eleven months ago. Um we wouldn 't be able to have this conversation today, so really it meant refocusing around a small number of top priorities of the business, being kind of ruthless around you know what was going to serve those priorities, and also being really disciplined around making sure that you know we understood our culture and values uh, articulated our values you know very clearly um, and then looked at every person in the company and said you know are are the folks that we have here, um, you know, the right folks based on our leadership principles, right? And um, I think that exercise became the foundation of you know what we've transformed into over the last you know uh, last year and, and a much stronger company because of it.
0: So now, obviously, you know, like towards uh, employees that you brought in, and then also towards investors, vision is a really big one. So imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight. And you wake up in a world where the vision of Carbon 6 is fully realized. What does that world look like?
1: So the kind of short to medium term vision is, you know, if you're a seller on Amazon, uh, you should need to log into nothing but your Amazon Seller Central account and Carbon 6. And so everything, all the tooling that you need to be successful as an Amazon seller, you can access through Carbon 6. You know, the great thing about producing software for Amazon um, which is quite different from, from Shopify. Actually, is that you know, with, with Shopify, you know, their ideal customer profile, their ideal customer is the merchant, right? So their customer is the merchant. They're serving that merchant. Um, and they're building tooling for the merchant. So there's always a question if you're building tools for Shopify around like what is what's the elephant going to do, right? Which way is Shopify going to go? Are they going to want to build the same tooling that I'm building, etc. With Amazon, uh, every incremental product decision made relating to its marketplace is about how to get folks like you and me to spend more, to, to do more there, to shop more there. Right. Um, and to, you know, to um, make sure that they, you know, grew their ads program, et cetera, um, as a result. Right. And so given that orientation, they really just opened up their APIs. They made them very accessible um, to third-party folks to build on the platform. Um, and so there's just an immense amount of opportunity for companies like us to, to really play a part there and i think amazon's become you know very open and, and friendly with the software ecosystem in, in terms of opening up programs for us to to do more with them so uh that's the vision there um like over time i think um look we've accessed a really interesting group of, of customers so the customers that we serve the smbs and the mid-market companies that have really grown through amazon um, and also, a lot of the kind of larger brands that have now started selling on Amazon and growing their business on Amazon, it's it's a pretty compelling channel. And this customer cohort we have is increasingly thinking about, well, how do I go omni-channel? You know, how do I set up a DDC business? Uh, this customer channel is now needing things like financing and insurance and et cetera. And so, ultimately, as we grow, it's about serving the needs of that customer that e-commerce business more effectively right but we know that in the western world amazon is the number one place the number one destination and so we're starting amazon centric we also know that the market is so huge that we could be focusing our next few years on building only for this marketplace and scale substantially right Like there there will be you know there are going to be category changing like a number of category changing businesses in this space right like um it's a multi-billion-dollar software ecosystem alone here, and so um, you know there's a lot of headroom in Amazon. Though you know, over time, we'll we'll continue to serve our customers in other ways as well.
0: So obviously, here we're talking about the future. So I want to talk about the past with a lens of reflection. Imagine I was to put you into a time machine and I was to bring you back in time to maybe that moment that you were coming coming out, you know, of the private equity-backed the firm and and that you were running, and basically having the opportunity of having a chat with that younger self before really going at it as an entrepreneur. And let's say you had the opportunity of giving that younger self one piece of advice for launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now, Nassim? Um
1: Go talk to people that have done it before. Um, and like pick three, five people you respect and then ask them questions whenever you do something. Um, like any anything of consequence. Like when I, I would have asked them questions about the way we set up by shareholders agreement with my biotech company, I would ask questions around the structure of our financing rounds. You know, should I be using a safe here? Should I be using a convertible note? You know, how should I think about, you know, the the partners that I'm bringing in? How should I think about my round construction? Um, You know, like talk me through your approach with different business partners. Um, I felt like, uh, so I'm an optimist um, and I, I genuinely believe that, you know, Things are going to work out, and and we're going to find a way to be successful and win. I think I needed to have people in my corner that were checking me, and also giving me the benefit of the the learnings and failures that they've had in life. And so I think that's what I would be actively thinking about: is how do I how do I a surround myself with people who whose strengths complement my weaknesses and vice versa, and how do I you know get a board of advisors on every, any right topic, like, you know, I'm a member of YPO. I've got my like forum group who's like a personal advisory board. I think that like more technically from like a, like a startup founder perspective, like get a group of founders together and they're going to be people who, you know, probably know things that you don't on virtually every topic or have solved most of the problems that you're trying to solve and then go to them when you're doing things. And chances are your answer is going to get a lot better.
0: I love it. Nasim, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: Uh, drop me an email, nasim, Naseem, N A S E E M, at carbon6.io. Uh, it's the easiest one.
0: Amazing. Well, hey, easy enough. Well, Naseem, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us.
1: Thanks a bunch. If you like the
0: show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the DealMakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.